Mom to Mom podcast. We're three generations of moms who've experienced nearly every season of motherhood. Of course, we don't have all the answers, but you can be sure that we'll always point you to the one who does. We're pouring a cup of coffee and we're chatting motherhood today. Pull up a chair. We're really glad you're here. We're going to talk about a really important subject today, but before we get to it, I want to give you a couple anchor scriptures that we're going to use. The first one is from 1 Corinthians 6.12, and it says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. And the second scripture is from Ephesians 2.10, and we'll put these in the show notes. And that one goes, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, if your child is between the ages of 6 and 23, born between 1995 and 2012, then they're part of what's called iGen or Generation Z. 74 million Americans or 24% of the population fit this category. Now, this is the generation that has never known life without the internet, and they're the most smartphone-addicted generation in history. Now, though there are pros and cons to the digital world, the cons are winning. So what are parents to do? How do we reach the most isolated, loneliest generation in history? Did you know that on average, the age most kids get their first phone is at 10.3 years old? And 80% of smartphone users are between 12 and 17 years old. It is terrifying to note there's a troubling trend of teens texting nude selfies to one another through Snapchat, typically boys sending them to the girls they like and asking the girls to send one in return. Now, unfortunately, there is no way to block these type of texts. But because this generation of children are always online, they're far less likely to volunteer, have jobs, go to church, or even do homework because they spend the vast majority of their time online. In fact, studies show that one out of four young people don't attend church. There's been a huge spike in depression and suicide rates among children over the last few years. So what are we as parents who have Christ as our foundation to do? I'm excited that you're here today with me, Jamie Erickson, and September McCarthy as we discuss this incredibly important topic today. Ladies, what do you feel is the appropriate age to allow your child to have a cell phone? I just want to say first, Kate, I'm so glad we're talking about this topic because I've raised, you know, I have 10 kids and my oldest is 27 and I feel like I'm raising my last four to five kids in a totally different culture of, um, media and um, technology and digital concerns. So I have had to rethink this and really examine how I'm going to approach this in our home now. Um, As far as having a cell phone in our home, you know, and this isn't to say that it's the same for everyone, but in our home, there are a few stipulations and they don't always necessarily require age, but If my child wants a cell phone, they have to have a job so they can pay for the cell phone. They have to pay for the cell phone bill and they have to be willing to have um, us as a backup. As in other words, we can see what they text, what, what apps are on their phone. But generally in our home, we don't even quote unquote allow 
our kids to have a phone until around 16. When they're working, they need another form of communication. Now I know we homeschool, so it's a little different. A lot of times if you have a child in public school or they're at a babysitter or something and they need it for safety or for something else, that's different. But for our home, those are the reasons that we've set that age. And um, because along with um, privilege comes responsibility. What about you, Jamie? Well, I'm so excited that we're tackling this today because I think um, there is this feeling in mostly Christian circles where we'll just put our head in the sand and we'll just say no across the board for digital media, specifically cell phones. And I don't think that's always the wisest practice. I don't think cell phones are going away. So we need to have some really hard, deep conversations about it and come at it proactively. And I think that's hopefully what this podcast episode will do. I don't really think that there is, um, that this is a decision that needs to be made by a particular age. Like September alluded to, I'd agree. I think it's more maturity that you need to consider when um, thinking about the idea of giving your child a cell phone or allowing them to have one? Have they proven responsibility? I think that should be the determiner. Um, I think there's some specific instances where maybe a cell phone is a necessity or at least a would be a great help. Even to a younger child, um, maybe a cell phone would be warranted should you know, that 13-year-old girl be a babysitter. And and unfortunately, in most homes, most homes don't have landlines anymore. So I know when my daughter started babysitting at 13, she'd go over to somebody's house. I wanted her to be able to have a cell phone, if for no other reason than just to be able to call 911 should something happen with those children. So I think that there's some specific instances where um, younger kids, um, Maybe it's more warranted that a younger kid would have it, but I think it's less about age and more about maturity and even just the responsibility or the need. Right, I agree with you both. And one thing I would say is they do have flip phones still, a dumb phone, not a smartphone that you can, if it's a say a 13 year old who maybe is babysitting that you want to have your phone number, your husband's phone number, maybe a couple other numbers in there that that's the only thing they're allowed to call because there are parental controls you can put on these phones. They also have these smart little digital watches that have a GPS tracker in them for younger kids. If they're going to school or maybe they're on the bus or something and you don't feel 100% um, positive about their safety, that it will have that in there, even the ability for them to call mom or dad. So there are things out there. We'll put some links in the resources for parents that know they need something, but you don't have to go get an iPhone with all the bells and whistles and gadgets. You can do other things that maybe aren't as cool, maybe they won't look as hip, but it still gives them a way to communicate with you. Well, how old do you think your kids should be before you let them on social media? I know how you both feel about phones, but what about social media? Because that's such a popular thing today. Uh, In our home, you know, we've chosen the age 16, and that's only when there's been some markers of maturity, responsibility, and trust um, that we've laid out in our home. Uh, We know our kids' character better than anyone. So if we don't see those markers in our home, then whether we've said 16 in the past or not, 16 does not hold. There's also some kind of guidelines and boundaries that we've gone along 
with allowing that when they do have social media, and that's that we have their passwords and access to any of their messaging on social media. If you're a girl that you don't befriend or friend a guy or, or accept a, a male friend request without talking to us first and vice versa. We just have this nice um, list that has worked for us. Now our list is expanding as this digital age is growing and changing quickly daily. Um, we have to engage in conversation, but for us, you know, 16 has been a good age for social media. It's been a good connector for some of their friend groups and invitations that often come online and social media now, instead of like invitations in the mail, you know, there are some positive things, but here's the thing I want to say. Um, it may seem kind of corny for you as mom to have a social media app and maybe you just don't want it for yourself. But if your kids are on social media, when you make that decision, you should really have an account so you can keep, keep track. Um, we all need accountability. And that's when I actually began my social media presence because we allowed our children to around the age 16. Well, I just want to bring to your attention, if you're not aware, um, before I even answer this question, that in July, this past July, so just a few weeks ago from when we're recording today, freshman Senator Josh Hawley of Missouri proposed um, the Social Media Addiction Reduction Technology Act. It's um, SMART is the acronym. He proposed that in Congress, and if it passes, and it's still up for deliberation, at least um, at the time that we're recording, if it passes, it would make it illegal for social media apps like Twitter and Instagram and Snapchat to provide infinite scroll to provide rewards for repeated use and to provide autoplay video options um, with the idea that these companies that do this, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, have become professional abusers of human psychology. And he really sees a need for government intervention for the sake of mental health. He recognizes that these apps are engineered to be addicting. Now, this is not going to be a political podcast. I'm not vying one way or the other. The only reason I bring that up is, you know, even policymakers are noticing what social media is doing to this generation and what it will continue to do and mean for generations to come. And so laws are being put in place for, you know, whether good or bad, to prevent social media from taking over our lives, because quite honestly, it kind of is. So to answer your question, Kate, um, I don't really want to uh, give an age. Instead, I just want to present two scenarios. And then I want to encourage you, mom, who's listening, to think about these two scenarios in light of your kids. So here's the first one. On the one hand, once you release your kids to social media, you can't take them back. Once they start down that road and start learning technology, it won't be very long before they'll outlearn you. And so you can come along and set controls and filters but if you've not captured their heart, they're going to find ways to work around those. It's just inevitable. They will outlearn you in technology. The other thing we need to keep in mind is filters might block predators from seeing your kids, but that they don't always block your kids or stop your kids from seeing others. So a child can easily find their way even to seemingly innocent sites that promote dark things like hashtag self-harm 
hashtag cutter, hashtag self-hate, introducing all sorts of things. Um, and this isn't a drill. This is actually happening. Your kids can go on social media sites and follow those hashtags and, and see a lot of really depraved and sad scenarios. And not to mention that in their immaturity, they can easily post things that maybe they'll really regret later on. Their frontal cortex doesn't fully develop until adulthood. So you're kind of releasing really young kids into this arena without being fully prepared to answer for the consequences of their decision. And let's not forget that any simple deviation from cool, like maybe your kid um, posts a picture of themselves that other kids could, could construe as uncool, those can be immediate fodder for viral bullying. So your kid could post a picture maybe of themselves doing something completely ordinary and that picture can be screenshotted and edited and reposted in a way that will humiliate and even maybe traumatize them. So you can set all the filters that you want and yet so much of the control is out of your control. Here's scenario number two to think about as you're, as you're um, just pondering this idea of how young is too young or what is the perfect age, the quote unquote perfect age for releasing your children to social media. So eventually your children are going to reach a certain age when they'll be able to make their own decisions and their own choices regarding social media um, and technology. And in some ways, wouldn't it be better to help him or her navigate those waters while they're still under your watchful care and biblical counsel, instead of just kind of releasing them to it all at once um, at the age of 18 or whatever, expecting that they'll be able to just test everything and sift it all through a biblical worldview. Just as you can't expect them to be able to do, let's say, their taxes at 18 when you've not taught them how to do it at home, you can't expect them to just handle the heavy of social media if you haven't given them a chance to wrestle with it in the safety of your home. Um, my daughter's 15, and she's not currently on social media, but I do let her have access to my accounts, my um, Instagram account specifically, and and. She uses my phone so I can see what she sees. And we're actually able to talk about a lot of what she sees. Um, it's giving her a practice round without having the pressure of her immaturity of her age, you know? So September, I think it's great that at 16 or whenever your kids are showing um, that they are responsible enough to handle this media, you're letting them test the waters because you can't just release them at 18 and expect them to know how to do it and to do it well. Exactly. You have to prepare them. And we have some links to some great articles for this particular episode. One that, that goes through a scenario of a kid going to school and what happens back in 2008. And then you take that exact same scenario in 2018 and the vast difference between social media and how it affected that, how it would have affected that child now compared to then. So it's, it's a couple of really great articles that we're going to link to. Um, and, and I think I agree with you, with both you ladies. I know when my daughter lived at home, this is before social media as we knew it today. I mean, I remember when Facebook started and it was just for college kids. And as soon as I could get on there as a mom, I did because I wanted to stalk my daughter and find out everything she was doing. But I wanted to know not to stalk her, but to understand what this was all about. Who was she talking to? And 
and my feeling is if, if your children are living under your roof, like I think you were saying September, we had the passwords. We could go in. I wanted to know exactly who was approaching her. Who was she talking to? If I'm paying the bills, then I feel like I have the right to access to all of that until they're on their own and they're doing their thing. Then they don't have to let me have that. But I don't think anything should be hidden from your view if they're at your uh, still under your authority. Um, so let me ask you, ladies, if you have limits on screen time and do you allow your children to have any kind of devices in their bedrooms? I'm assuming not because you don't let them have anything till they're 16. But what advice maybe do you have on limits on screen time, allowing kids to have devices in their bedroom out of your view? Right. We have one main computer and I've always strategically put it in our home where I could see it from the main living area. So it's either in the kitchen and they have the kids have their back to me. I can see the screen or it's in our living room and they're upstairs. I can always see what's on the screen, um, which has been nice. We've had situations in our home where I know my kids have figured out they become savvy. You know, they have a screen up and then they have the other screen of the game they want to play, which is innocent. But the innocence, you know, kind of goes away when they're deceitful and hide the screen. Um, and I can, and I know if I tiptoe into the room, they're going to click off and get back to their schoolwork or something. So it's really been good for us to have it happen, like you said, um, in our home, in our daily life. Another thing is we don't have screens um, in their bedrooms. My husband, every night when he uh, gets the house ready for bed and everything, you know, turns off the lights, locks the doors, say goodnight to the kids, um, he collects all screens from bedrooms. So he'll take um, our 14-year-old son's tablet or his DS, and, and that's not even a phone. Um, those are just you know, tools or toys or, but any kind of screen is removed from the bedroom at home. And, you know, just last night, this happened in our home. And I thought it was interesting that we were recording today. Um, so it was time for us all to kind of, it was quiet time at night. And I said, good night to the kids. And I asked my husband, I said, did you go around and collect screens? And he's like, oh, I didn't go get them from one of the chil children. So he said, when he came back to talk to me, he said, you know, I was getting close to their room and I heard the tablet hit the floor. He said, and then I opened their door and they pretended they were asleep. And he said, I just had another moment of character training reaching their heart. It wasn't just about the screen being in the bedroom. It was about the fact that they were trying to hide it and pretend it wasn't there and they knew it was wrong. And um, so I actually welcome the conflict or working through these situations well before um, my kids leave home. I want them to know why. Um, it's not that we don't want them to have fun, play games at a younger age. Um, so it happens. It happens in every home, but um, don't be discouraged by it. It's good to have limits. So in our home, we don't have screens in their bedrooms at night. We have one main computer I can see. And also we have a one hour a day max screen time that includes anything that they might, if they, when we have a TV in our home, um, screens, anything like that, one hour max. And um, weekends are a little different, but um, that's how, that's how we do things in our house. Yeah, September, I think it goes back to exactly what you were saying. Like you, you have to capture their heart because no amount of rules that you lay down will ever be the fix-all or cure-all or perfect scenario if you have not captured their heart and, and did the deep and hard work of character training. 
So yeah, we do have limitations on screens. Ours are a little bit different than September's. Um, our kids have to earn the right to be on a screen and they do that by reading. So they read a certain amount each day and they have earned the right to be on a screen. And that's for um, extra things. So we use a lot of screens for homeschooling because we have some um, classes and courses that are done online. So that part does not count for um, you know, having to earn that. But as far as where the tablets or the, the screens are, we do allow our kids to have screens in their rooms with these caveats. So you have to have the door open because I think a closed door just opens, uh, opens up a door for the enemy into your heart. And we always think it's really wise um, when you're on a screen that there be more than one person present. And that could be a brother or a sister, but just having that accountability, there's safety in numbers and you're less likely to go down a deep, dark path if you're with someone else. So just having somebody else in the room with you, we check the history of our computers a lot um, to see what the kids have watched. And, you know, I'm going to be honest, we've come upon some things that we've seen. Oh, they were on this site. This is what they were digging into. And like you said, September, we've had to have some conversations, but we're, we're able to have those conversations in the safety of our home. Um, we also, like you, don't allow devices in the bedroom after bedtime. So we have a set time where they all have to be wrangled and brought into our room. And I, I, I just want to go back to what you were saying, Kate, about um, having dumb phones. I think that is 100% the best advice for a mom who needs to give a cell phone to a young child. Um, they can still call. You can still have access to them. They can still have access to you, but you are not giving them um, just you know, a Pandora's box of things at their fingertips. So yes, you can still buy a dumb phone at Walmart. You can still go and get a prepaid cell phone um, that only allows a certain number of minutes. So if your young child or tween or early teen needs to have a phone, you know, if you, if you think that you're the only mean mom, we stand with you as mean moms. <laughs> Our kids don't have all the, all the devices either. So if you're hearing, you know, everybody has one or so-and-so has one and why can't I have one? Mean moms, let's stand together and have some solidarity because our kids' lives are at stake. And, and I don't mince words about that. Amen. I absolutely agree with you, Jamie, 100%. Well, since each child is different, do you have different rules for different children based on age or based on gender? Or is it pretty much the same all across the board? You know, we have seven girls, three boys, and the, the guidelines, the rules, the why behind everything is the same for everyone. But naturally, there's some things that I address um, privately and personally with my girls and with my boys because of their gender. And we address them as a family because we've had this experience in our home. There have been moments on social media um, particularly where maybe an older brother saw a younger sister share a picture. Now, this is a really innocent example um, that may have been with no purpose, maybe a pretty picture of glamour where, you know, she was just showing off a new dress or something, but he thought maybe that was an inappropriate way to present a social media post. So he would text it to me and then I would think about it and examine and think about the heart of my child and then address the teen from there. And so 
it's really kind of nice to have these discussions as a family and always be looking out for one another on social media. Um, you know, there's social media and then there's phones and then there are messages. And so when it comes to messages, you know, our girls have never been quote unquote allowed to message boys. Um, and so when my boys receive messages from girls, uh, we've had great lengths of conversations about that. And um, we actually requested that our kids refrain from personally messaging the opposite sex. And if they'd like to communicate, to send an email and CC us as parents. And of course we have um, log in to our kids' emails. So um, we allowed them to communicate if we thought there was a reason and it worked out great. You know, we were able to see the messages, them replying back and forth. We monitored it. Sometimes we had to stop the, the conversations. It was really just because they were friends and we allowed them to use the, the actual resource of having a screen. I mean, you don't want to just completely shut digital um, tools out of our home. We have to use some discretion when it comes to things like this. Um, but I do want to just say, <laughs> because you know this is new to many people it would be easy for us to listen to maybe a podcast like this and maybe function in fear um and i think we can cover that soon but to to listen to this podcast and walk away feeling equipped um and to not be afraid because you are equipped um knowledge is the key and then walking in that and following through and to not be afraid most particularly of disappointing or upsetting your children because you are really protecting them and they don't understand right now. And down the road, like some of my adult children completely canceled their social media accounts after they hit like 22. They have no need for it. They think it's petty. They don't have time. They were thankful. Yeah, I just, I'm glad we went through that at home. It was fun when we had it. We're glad we had guidelines, but now they don't even have an account. Um, and I just look at that and I'm in awe. I'm like, wow, you know, that's so good. But uh, don't be afraid of the topic. Don't be afraid of addressing your children. I've seen that happen in homes. People don't want to upset their kids and infringe on their social time and their screen time. And so they just avoid it altogether. Yeah. And let's not forget that technology in and of itself is not bad. I mean, think about all the things that have happened throughout the ages because of technology. Um, think about all the things we wouldn't have if it weren't for technology. So technology is good and helpful when it's put in its proper place. And I think that's what this episode is talking about. Um, so as far as um, different ages and different genders, Kate, we definitely approach social media and technology a little bit different based on age. It's not, again, necessarily a particular age. It's, it's more, we make decisions more based on maturity and need. So for example, my daughter at 13 began to babysit and because so many of the homes that she was going into didn't have a landline, we did get her a dumb phone. My son is currently 13 and he doesn't have a phone. And that's not for a lack of maturity. It's just a lack of need. He doesn't need one right now. So I don't think you can make a hard and fast rule across the board based on age. I do think that we, while we don't necessarily have um, different rules for different genders, I think my radar is peaked differently for each of each of the genders. So um my daughter, I'm always uh, leery and cautious for her about catty texts. 
or social pressures from text messages or things she might see online that would make her feel insecure and have um, maybe body image struggles. Because I think that generally, in a lot of ways, that's what young girls struggle with. Whereas my sons, I have an extra special peaked radar for things like pornography and sexual lust. And that's not to say that girls are not susceptible to that. It's just, I think, um, boys have a proven track record of really struggling in those areas. So I, as the mother, want to be extra mindful about them when dealing with um, my sons and extra mindful about other areas when dealing with my daughter. I am her gatekeeper. And so sometimes sometimes I have to say, honey, if, if you need me to be the heavy, if you need me to be the mean mom, so you can say, oh, my mom doesn't allow me to do that. If that helps you not feel like the outsider or the lame kid, make me the bad guy. I don't care. I can handle it. My shoulders are big enough. Amen. So what place does scripture have in this conversation? I mean, how can we as parents point our children to the word since it does not speak specifically to electronic devices, phones, social media? The word was written 2000 years ago. There's really nothing in there that speaks specifically to this, but how can we kind of wrap scripture around all of this? Well, I think it it might not have specific words for digital devices, but I, I don't think it's mute on um, what we should set our mind and hearts on. You know, I think of Philippians 4, 8, for example, um, whatsoever things are good and pure and right. First um, Corinthians, whatever you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all for the glory of God. I think character training will do more in this area than any hard and fast rule. So if you can find those scriptures, find those verses in scripture that that talk about what we are supposed to set our mind and our hearts on and focus our attention on, that, that will go a lot of miles, I think, in training the hearts of our kids. And I think that we can remember that and consider that um, even beyond digital devices. You know, digital devices aren't the only evils that our kids might come upon. My, my son recently stumbled upon something in a book. And because we had trained and taught him that if, you know, if ever you come upon something where it, it kind of makes you feel icky, for lack of a better way to put it, or something that you know is not in line with scripture, please feel comfortable coming to us and sharing with us. And, and the key there is to not overreact not shame him, um, remind him that he did the right thing in coming to us and telling us about it, and then we can have a conversation about it. So yeah, I think they're more prone to come upon those types of scenarios on a phone, on a digital device, but that's not the only um, open door to the enemy. Amen. I love the scripture in Luke ten twenty five that says, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And I know that as, as moms, both of you are, are doing that. You're pointing your children towards Christ. And I think that's probably the most important thing we can do that how, what would Jesus do? You know, it sounds trite, WWJD, but it's really true. What would Jesus do when, when faced with 
pornography on a cell phone? How's he going to respond? And if we're training our children correctly to to know that that's wrong and that's something we don't participate in, I think I think that's really what we as parents need to do. Um, and can I just say, Kate, I'm sorry to interrupt, and I'm kind of maybe beating a dead horse. Maybe I've already said this, but um, I think we need to avoid legalism in this area as Christian mm-hmm. parents. I think it's a really slippery slope to to go down because it's a whole lot easier to just give a hard and fast no, right? Um, but when we do that and we don't actually have the hard discussions, that usually just ends up backfiring and it drives people's sin underground where yeah. they hide it and then they can't get the help they need. So while yes, you need as a mom to put up some parameters and, and find ways to um, protect and serve your kids in this area, I think that you um, might might be remiss if you just dismiss it altogether. If you just, like I said, put your head in the sand and, and just give, give a no across the board. I, I think we'd be better served as Christian moms um, walking alongside our kids in this area once they show the proper maturity and maybe have the need. Jesus himself tells us to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbors ourselves. So how do we fit digital technology and screens and cell phones and social media into Christ's command in this day and age? I think we can use social media and our screens as a positive influence like we do with our podcast. You know, we try to have a platform. I try to model that with my kids. Um, I think that we can encourage one another and we can share scripture. There's a lot of different ways. And we, I have actually this conversation with my kids a lot that do have social media accounts to always think of the purpose as to why they might be posting or sharing something. Um, does it reflect Jesus and his character? Um, what do people think when they see what you're putting up? Is it real and genuine? And is it sharing the gospel? And if it doesn't fit through a filter like that, and then of course, with any, anything we put before our eyes, um, would we want someone else to see this as well? And that's, and that's just the filter that we use our social media platform and presence for. I, I love the scriptures. You said that, and I don't, I don't know the citation for it, but it's, I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. And there's a lot mm-hmm. on social media that's worthless. So mm-hmm. if we're kind of looking at it through the eyes of scripture, that's a good one. And also the mm-hmm. Philippian scripture is great. Right. Mm-hmm. S- social media, cell phones, digital devices, that's not the enemy. It's just a tool that he can use and hijack for his own purposes. And I think we can hijack them back. I think they can be used for so much good and we can model that to our kids. I think especially as my kids get older and in their teens and they're, they're venturing out into the world, social media has been a place where I can come alongside even some of their friends who are on social media and be an influence in the lives of their friends. And like we've talked about in past podcasts in being an influence to my children's friends, I'm inadvertently being an influence to my children. Amen. You know, it's a very different world than I grew up in and different than when we raised our daughter. But we have to be diligent and model good use of technology and social media. Like I've always said, what we model, our children will follow. We can never assume our children have the same understanding of the evil in the world that we have. We have to have smart conversations with our kids and help them understand the battlefield they're entering. And I think it's a good idea to have phone-free zones and 
phone-free times like meal times. Families are disconnecting and that's scary. If you ever go out to dinner and you see the family around the table and they're all on their phones, I just wanna go up and shake them and say, mom and dad, put down your phone. So to finish up today, there's a psychologist in, at San Diego State University named Jean Twenge, and she has a fantastic and very in-depth article about how the smartphone is literally destroying a generation. And we're gonna link to her article in the show notes, and it's well worth your time. We have a few more helpful links to articles and a book called 12 Ways Your Phone Is Changing You. You know, as parents, if we aren't making the truth and the beauty of God and the delight of following him first in our lives, we can't expect our children to do it in a vacuum. We must rethink our priorities and figure out safe, manageable ways to fit the digital world into our lives. We don't have to do it the way the world does it, and we don't have to do it the way we think everyone else is doing it. So I implore you to pray, ask the Holy Spirit for guidance on how to use social media and technology in your home and with your family to further the kingdom. Please don't feel you have to give in to pressure just because everybody else is doing it. The way of Jesus is the narrow way, as he says in Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there are many who go in by it. Thank you so much for joining us today. I know this was a heavy topic, but it's an important one. And feel free to subscribe to the mom to mom podcast and give us a rating. Also, if you go to the mom to mom podcast website, you can download our 30 days to pray for my child prayer cards for free, which is a great resource for every mom. We're also on Instagram and we would be honored if you followed us there. Just know that Jamie, September and I are praying for you and we know God will give you wisdom as you raise godly kids in the digital age.